Welcome to the Push Performance Podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome back to episode number... 55. 55 on the Push Performance. 55? Who's that? We've done one since you've been here. That's crazy. We went like a year straight. We did it every week. Yeah. Every week. We were so good about it. And what happened? I think the pro off season happened. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that summer happened. Yeah, summer happened. Yeah. So now we're trying to get back with minor technological details. <laughs> yes. It's difficulties. So yeah, today we got Dalton Hurd, hitting strength guy. Hello. Obviously Taylor Davis. You heard his voice. Everybody knows Taylor. And Ashton, angry Ashton today. <laughs> it's tough out here. <laughs> One of those days. Um, um, yeah. So welcome back. A um, couple things. I wanted to cover too. Um, if you want to hear anything on the podcast, just reach out to us. We've done that in the past; it's actually helped us. Um, but yeah, that's you know that format helps us a lot. If you guys ask us questions, DM us, whatever. We can put some stuff out on IG. Do you, do you do, can you use that on TikTok? I don't think so. I'm you can I'm do, sure you can. You can do yeah. You like can ask me TikTok? a question. Hell no. Do you use TikTok? No. Okay, I don't even have the app. For giving it whatever just comes up on Instagram, yeah. TikTok videos find their way on Instagram. What do you need TikTok for? You got Instagram doing the same stuff, they are like yeah, later, though. Like, I guess people on TikTok make fun of those people, but I'm one of those people. I'm one of those people, yeah, I'm old, so yeah, what's the matter? but they all end up on reels, so it's yeah. fine, yeah, yeah. I mean, Instagram I'm sure the kids things. disagree and think that we're lame, but yeah, at what point is Instagram going to become like irrelevant, though? I was thinking about that. Weekend, actually, you imagine that. like the person that bought the house across the street from me is an Instagram influencer. That's all they do. That's all they do. So they just have no income then. So what Instagram, happens, what if what Instagram, Instagram crash or crashes? They probably switch to TikTok, but <laughs> you'd have to like build it all up just to build it back up. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But the fact that she paid that much money for a house, and that's all she does, is absurd to me. Yeah, that's nice. I know. The modern I era. My expertise. I know nothing about that. The modern era. My wife is. I'm giving you a shout out. Ashley, I ain't gonna listen to the podcast anyways. But <laughs> she's so bad at technology. I have to. Oh my gosh. I have to carry her so bad. It's like, can you set up my new phone for me? I'm like, really? Yeah. I can't connect the Bluetooth to the Tesla. Like, you literally push one button. It's so easy. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, uh, off topic. But um, Taylor, Dalton and I are talking a little bit just about like knowledge and stuff and. You know, learning things and who you learn from and stuff like that. So that's kind of where I wanted to take this podcast today a mm-hmm. little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, share our knowledge a little bit. You know, what do you feel, Dalton? To start with you, what do you feel like you're really proficient in? Like, what are you the best? The best of the coaches? Like, why did we hire you? Oh, good. <laughs> wow, that's a great question. I've been trying to answer that myself. I don't know why you hired me. <laughs> Stop. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, 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 yeah, okay. I'm pretty well versed, I would say. I wouldn't consider myself an, an expert or the best at any of this stuff, but um, I found that in most areas, there's one or two things that I know that help the other coaches and works the, the other way around, too. Well, every guy here has taught me a few things already, and um, I'd say my best area, my most uh, yeah, my best area of knowledge would probably be just the shoulder in general. Um, it's really complex, and that's kind of where I thrive because I get to ask a lot of questions, and there's never really any concrete answers. So I've naturally dove in a lot further and um, read a lot more about the shoulders and how they work, and especially dealing with injuries and 
obviously working with a lot of overhead athletes, baseball players, it's really important. So that's one thing I'm well versed at. And then also probably speed training is one of my things. Dive into a little bit. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good chance. Coach Chris in Colorado is uh, really good. He's, I mean, he's all he does is speak. He's phenomenal. And Taylor and I have been back bouncing ideas back and forth, just like talking about overload, underload, speed, stuff like sleds. Um, I like to dive into that today too. That's cool. We can talk about speed work. Yeah. Um, we'll go back to that. But Taylor, how about you? Um, <laughs> I feel like I'm definitely, um, like my strength comes in exercise programming, um, and then kind of figuring out exactly what the athlete needs to work on in their specific position or in their sport, um, or specific movements that they need to work on, on the mound or in the batter's box, and then taking those movements frame by frame, and then carrying those over into the weight room, um, and seeing how, things kind of line up within sport and then also within the weight room with your plot, like with your med ball throws, your jumps, everything like that, and making sure that every exercise kind of builds off of each other um, based off of what that athlete needs to work on. Um, and also just the programming side of things um, and figuring out exercise, um, exercise order um, and kind of building off each exercise off of the next, um, figuring out what range of the motion you were able to open up with, with this breathing exercise or with this specific mobility exercise or something like that. And then being able to carry that over into the next exercise and then each one just kind of builds off of each other one after the other um because there's a lot of a lot of things that we can fix and there's a lot of times where exercise order can be a problem um with just kind of how everything lines up with each other and you can kind of you can kind of miss specific aspects of exercises if they're not ordered correctly um so there's ordering up ordering those up in line so we can get like the I most out of each exercise yeah so that's something we, that, we talked about that a lot the yeah biggest thing i preach on like order does matter yeah 100%. and that yeah yeah exercise order yeah exercise order definitely matters and then also just taking that throughout the week as well looking at like on a daily schedule and then taking it throughout the week and then throughout an eight-week block or 12-week block or 16-week block and then just kind of ordering that in line with each other um 100%. but I mean, yeah honestly though like you sound like me obviously but like looking at what we do as a sport as baseball like we can't transfer it from the weight room to the mound or like knowing what's going on in the in the box, right? Like we can't do our jobs, period. Yep. Right. And knowing that you, you you said that, you know, perfectly that conjoining the two mm -hmm. is the biggest the biggest they're, Yeah, they're not two separate things. No. And they shouldn't be treated as two separate things. I fully believe that's why we've had success as a company. Yeah. Truthfully. And just learning how to apply the knowledge in the weight room, the knowledge the box or in the mound or in the field mm -hmm. right yeah now adding the sprint mechanic stuff is a little different but like baseball's an accelerated sport mm -hmm. right never really hit top end speed but we still need to train top end speed to increase acceleration well that or decrease the chance of injuries too yeah right never working high end speeds but, you know right, right. we talk about that you want to go ahead and speed stuff but um yeah it's like that's for me like the speed stuff for for me is like Probably my weakest point, I would say. That's mm -hmm. um, why I hired Chris. <laughs> you know, shout out to Chris. Yep. And now Dalton. Dalton has to get to prove it to us yet, so we'll see today. We'll see but, today. Yes. But yeah, um, for me, like I'm, I feel like I'm pretty good at the the recovery rehab stuff. Working with Nick for all these years, that's my, kind of my my go-to. It's like that. 
performance rehab, I guess you'd call it. Mm -hmm. um, just indulging myself in how the body works, why it works the way it does, you know, treat the treat the origin and not the site, right? Mm -hmm. And not, you know, don't don't just treat with the bicep because it's hurting. Like, is it the lat? Is it your hip? Is it whatever, your eyeball? You know? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of my knowledge base. But yeah, let's talk about some speed stuff, Dalton. Taylor, I know you have questions. Shoot away. I don't have any questions. I just want to hear. I just want to hear the base philosophy. No, you do. Like, let's go talk about what we were talking about. It's like load, underload, overload stuff. Oh, getting into like trying to figure out what when would be when's a good time to do underload speed. So like, when would be a good time to do like like when would would be a good time during the year to do like the woodway sprints, or when it would be a good time during the year to do accelerator sprints. And it obviously probably changes based off of the athlete and what they specifically need to work on. But is there's a time during the year it's like okay we we need to do some sort of weighted resistor sprints here. We need to do underload sprints. We need to do overspeed training on, on the woodway or something like that. Like just kind of where does that change up throughout the year and then based off of each athlete? Yeah, I mean, especially if we're talking relative to, let's just say the MLB offseason, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Just because that's easy majority of the guys we work with. Um, first of all, you, you look at whether that athlete really needs to work on speed a whole lot. Obviously, we know that. Um, everyone does, but... Um, and should, but if it's not something that needs to be addressed immediately, like it can be pushed back a little bit more in the program. Um, I'd say it happens relatively early in the off season, as long as they've gone through like a general uh, physical preparedness phase and done some plyo prep where they're doing jumps and um, low intensity sprints or sprints, quote unquote. Um, that way they've prepared their muscles and tendons to, to take on that load. So, if everything's going perfectly, I'd say, you know, the second phase of off-season, second phase um, on somebody's program. So, like, week five, between weeks five and seven, you can start that kind of stuff. Um, does, yeah, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, in terms of, like, on a baseline level. Yeah. Like, do, you, yeah. do you like to program deceleration before you program acceleration? Do you, do you like guys learning, teaching guys how to stop before they can go? Yeah, I do, um, especially younger athletes. I think that's really important, you know, you you can't be all gas and no brakes. Like that's that's a easy way to get hurt. You know, if you're only teaching acceleration, guess what? Every time you accelerate, you have to decelerate. So if you if you haven't done that, then there's going to be some problems pretty early on. If you're you're only doing acceleration stuff, and typically once you start sprinting and getting a little heavier into plyos in the off season, that's in the first part of that phase. I would say like you're any sprint I'd give on, let's say a week five, it's their week five total. It's their first week sprinting and they're just doing like a half kneeling linear start. I'm going to add a D cell at the end of that. I'm going to say, you know, stop at the 15 yard line um, in a good position and, and hold that position. and hold that position and, and do that for a couple weeks at least. Obviously if you get a really good athlete who has been sprinting consistently, They'll show you on week one that that's going to be super easy for them. They're going to be able to progress out of that pretty fast. Um, still a good skill to work on, but keep them keep them there for a couple weeks before you just really cut them loose, and then maybe even sprinkle it in again later in the off season just to keep them in check. Yeah, I try. For me, I like to program, like you said, kind of get through that phase of the call it kind of like foundational phase, like this absolute strength phase, or whatever. If you look at the continuum, right? Um, like the up pro guys because that's coming up so like they're running all year long mm -hmm. um you know they're really focusing on change direction throughout the year 
in their game. They're focusing on acceleration in their game. They're working. Now, I might add in some deceleration stuff just to do it, like maybe like a basic box drop or something like that, just to keep them, you know, their CNS going a little bit. But um, during the year and that first four or five weeks, like I rarely will ever do speed stuff. Um, maybe not even some med ball work. I just let their body recoup, recover yeah. after playing 162 games or having 35, 40 starts, right? Yeah. Um, and then after that, it's, it's deceleration for me right away, 100%. It's, hey, let's, you know, we'll get in, like you said, we'll get in that 10 yard sprint into a deceleration pattern, hold that position, then get out of it into an acceleration and then go into a deceleration again. Um, at that time, we can look at joint angles, right? How well they hip extend, knee extend, ankle extend. Um, you see the guys that can decelerate really, really well and the guys that can't. So it's exactly. like the guys that can't, you may have to spend a little bit more time on it or just add a little yeah. more volume of that deceleration working yeah. in the program. Well, sometimes, sometimes it's a strength thing. You know, yeah. Stronger it's also a body type thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah, the guys, for guys that are really shoved forward, anterior pelvic tilt, those guys yeah. have a hard time just pushing their center mass back when they're just standing up. Yeah. So let alone them pulling them, pushing their momentum forward with running, it's going to be hard. It's going to be extremely hard. Yep. And then guys have a hard time absorbing force and they just go, go, go. Those are guys that over-rotate, right? So then we can really focus on deceleration all together in their lifts, their program, right? It's just not just on the, on the speed side. It's also eccentric ISOs, you know, different, you know, even a basic split stance, pal-off press. Front pal split squats. Yeah. Push them. Yeah. Yeah. All that kind of stuff to get them pushed. Back, back a little bit more yeah um let's talk about that so people understand what we're talking about um so rifford elevated split squat right push, yeah this push is going to push you forward guys that need to be going into kind of late stance or early stance phase of gate um right yep. you say rear foot elevated yes so yes push. rear foot elevated push your center yep. center mass back or forward, forward. rear foot back working on late stance Front foot elevated, roof it. Front foot elevated. Front foot elevated, push it back. Yeah. Front foot elevated split squats will push it back. Rear foot elevated split squats will push it forward. And then depending on the guy, somebody that was just doing a normal split squat, if they're anterior tilted and their center mass being pushed forward, that could be like a rear foot elevated split squat to them. Yeah. So it's like starting with rear foot elevated split squat or just starting somebody on like a normal split squat and then and then progressing them to a rear foot elevated split squat. So figuring out exactly how that athlete moves and then coming up with the best solution to kind of incorporate the, the, the plyometric stuff, the jumping stuff with like with somebody who needs to push their center or would have a hard time. I'd probably start them with vertical jumps because those guys will often fall forward. And then you can progress those guys into broad jumps as well, which would be harder for them. To push their center center back. Jump for a test, right? And then yeah. Yeah. See how they jump, where they land, if they're going, where they land. going backwards, yeah. what their weight is doing, what their torso is doing. Where their foot's going. Right. Yeah. How they land, like, especially like they, but we've had a lot of conversations about like presentations of the, of the foot and the femur and then, or the tip fib femur and pelvis, completely, you know what I mean? And yeah. just like looking at how guys land, it's just, they can't cheat that. Yeah. You know, and getting like biasing, being able to bias a forward stance or late stance or whatever you want to call it um, in the weight room is easy that we can transfer to the mount, right? We'll hit some front foot elevated split squats to really get some deeper hip flexion and extension, back hip extension. Mm -hmm. And go right into in the spring. Hopefully, it'll clean up a little bit. Yeah. Um, that's exactly where I want to go with that conversation. Thanks, Taylor. <laughs> gotcha, Taylor. <laughs> yeah. What do you got on that? No, I agree with everything you're saying. I, I I think it's especially important to just really look at what you guys were covering there, and 
noticing how it's not all like everything you do for speed training isn't just uh, it doesn't just involve running like the weight room is so important um, so exercise selection in the weight room is is half the battle there and um like you said earlier i think that's what makes us good at what we do is being able to build that bridge between the two you know whether it's uh, hitting to the weight room pitching to the weight room and now speed work also in the weight room because a lot of times people separate those two things and they're very much together so yeah then, some people are just doing you know speed prep with no weight room right right yeah which you've seen a lot of a lot of athletes do mm-hmm. or a lot of coaches do which yeah. they have they have their reasoning probably right but yeah. at some point the weight room is going to be a huge piece of the component yeah it can be a really frustrating for the athlete too if they're just grilling all this speed work and not touching anything in the weight room but mechanically nothing is changing even though they're telling themselves what they need to change over and over again and being coached the same way but really they just they need to change the mechanism they need to go into the weight room and make some mechanical adjustments before they can even try and make an adjustment while they're running full speed and that's the thing that's huge like the way we program for guys like we just had a conversation about how we're a lot more heavier on the on the unilateral patterns, right? Which is the bilateral patterns. Like, yeah, we'll bilateral guys. We get deadlift. We'll even go to split stance deadlift, which is somewhat bilateral, I guess. Yeah. But um, you know, where we really good is all right. This guy's lacking hip extension, hip internal rotation. Let's get him on a rear elevated split squat to get him pushed forward more in that hip extension, right? And then that's gonna play going down. The thing about going down the mound, to get down the mound, you have to have good hip extension, right? So it's gonna get them in positions, prime them, even if it's in their A block or B block before they throw, they know what that feeling feels like. They're primed, ready to go. Exactly. What do you got, yeah. Taylor? Yeah. No, yeah, same thing. Yeah. Training generally. Yeah. yeah. We're back. Training generally, like unilateral patterns, and I think in our assessments, I know a lot of us do, like, just a bodyweight squat. So they can show a whole lot, which can tell us a lot about the athlete's, like, full body function, just how everything kind of moves together. And most athletes don't have a great bodyweight squat which is why we generally will go if a guy does a perfect bodyweight squat and everything moves perfectly sure why not as long as they're strong on one leg you could do some sort of a front squat or a safety bar squat or box squat search squat whatever um but a lot of times with that a lot of athletes won't move correctly and they can't get their pelvis in a good enough position to bilaterally load exercises so that's where a lot of that single leg work will come into play and also single leg work just translates over to baseball this is a unilateral support um so much it, the carryovers are just so many more so much more carryover than there would be doing bilateral exercises um but yeah i wanted to get into a little bit more of the sprint stuff with like loading sprint so i know i think it's um it last week that someone brought up the difference i think you brought the difference between doing like a a resisted like sled sprint that you're pulling versus a sled sprint that you're pushing yeah and kind of what yeah. the difference is there yeah i mean pulling pulling a sled you're obviously going to get a lot more of a load on your posterior chain so, you know, when the sled is behind you, um, and that weight is behind you, you, uh, you really need to make sure that you've done your prep work <coughs> and you know where you're at on the, the spectrum as far as the, you know, strength, speed, power, what you're training, the force velocity curve. You got to know where you're at. Um, but again, the prep work is, is the biggest piece there because there's a lot of potential to get injured if somebody has not built up the proper strength and then all of a sudden you're pulling a load behind you while sprinting. Um, I would typically put that later in the off season, um, but not too close to where um, you're about to send them off because um, 
you can pull a pretty heavy load and they'll slow you down quite a bit. And the closer you get to sending them off to season, you want to be moving pretty fast, right. um, close to as fast as you can. Um, I like the pushing, pushing the load earlier in the off season um, and potentially later. It can kind of be a, a double-edged sword, but I like it earlier for the most part because it slows you down. I almost think about it as uh, when I program it, I'm not telling this athlete to push X amount of weight. I'm trying to convince them that the sled is slowing them down, almost assisting them rather than resisting them for to give them an opportunity to work on mechanical things. But there's no better time to work on sprint mechanics than when you're sprinting slower. Right? You can actually think about things more, see what positions you're getting into, see how knee, how high your knee is driving up, see where uh, the angle of your shin is at the, at the top of that knee drive. Um, it allows you to just look at things a lot easier. Would you take the pushing, pulling, as far as like what we were just talking about, the weight room, getting forward or getting back? Like Sorry, getting getting the weight to go forward versus getting the weight to go get pulled back? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Um, you could definitely think about it that way, but then you probably would have to really consider the load. Um, that's kind of that's the questions Taylor and I have been having is like, what's the proper load for a sled push, sled like a you know, mini sled sprint? Right. Yeah. Or if your goal is to is to fix some postural things with that athlete or compensate to how they are naturally, the load would probably have to be a lot lighter um, because it, the heavier the load gets, the more out of control their movements are going to get, the more their instincts are going to kick in just to overpower the weight. Um, so you have to you'd have to do a really good job coaching them before they even start. Like, here's why we're doing this. Here's our goal with you. You sit in this posture. That's why we have the load behind you. That's why it's lighter than you think it should be. It's because we're trying to fix this little thing. We're not trying to put a bunch of weight on the sled and get you stronger here. So it's really just about communicating the goal with the athlete. Um, and then again, if you're trying to, if your goal is how, how fast you're moving the weight, the weight can be heavier, obviously, depending on where you are in the off season. But if your goal is to fix some sort of postural bias, I don't really like that word, but however they sit in, in posture of the pelvis, then it needs to be a little bit lighter. That's it. Yep. So you generally start out like beginning of the off season, you start out with your decel work. And then once you start getting into accelerative work, you probably either choose doing like pushing a sled versus dragging a sled, depending on the athlete mechanical, yeah. mechanical yeah. work. That would be that. a great time though. And a great excuse to pull the sled if the load is a lot lighter. Right, right, right. Yep. Um, typically, it's loaded up pretty heavy and athletes like to do that. And especially if you don't have your eyes on them at all times, they're going to make stupid mistakes. And, um, yeah. And what, yeah. What kind of mistakes do you see? Cause like with me, like some mini sled sprint stuff we do with guys, right. It might be a little too heavy. They're not getting into hip extension. Yeah. They're, they're shaking their, you know, their, their shoulders back and forth. Yeah. You know, their, their pelvis isn't really stable. It's not, no, it's not so much of they're not getting down as fast as they can. Yeah. Right. They're just kind of overreaching. Yeah. You know, I'd say, you know, a lot of the mistakes in, that I see, and I'd be curious to see what, or hear what you guys have to say too, they're pretty similar on both pushing and pulling the sled. Um, it's just the loads that are the most crucial um, that differ from each. But as far as like the mistakes I see mechanically, you know, it, especially with the, the population of athletes we work with, they just want to physically exert as hard as they can every time and they just want to put as much weight as they can on the sled. They're, they're moving their pelvis around a lot. You know, I saw one today with one of our athletes. Um, he 
was holding the sled super low. So basically, it was like a, it turned into a low sled push. His, his spine was almost perpendicular, uh, parallel with the ground. His hips were going up every time he drove his knee up, down every time he put his knee into the ground. It just did not look smooth at all. That, that was an exaggerated um, exaggerated way or mistake that I see. And it was almost everything. That you he fixed it at home? Yeah, of course mm -hmm. I did. <laughs> his name was Michael Byrne in case he's listening. Okay, perfect. He listens to this. Yeah, too. Perfect. Great. yeah so. Can't uh, trust that kid. Yeah, I mean, the mistakes I see are pretty much the same, whether you're pushing or pulling. I don't know if you guys have noticed any, any difference there. It's easier to make certain mistakes while yeah. pulling a sled versus pushing a sled, but most for the most part, it's the same on both sides. As far as sled pushes, I see that a lot pretty often. It's like lower, mm -hmm. bad bad torso angle, bad hip angle. No, get me wrong. There's a time for a low sled push. Yeah, but, but same time, there's, you know, you should still do it properly, though, mm -hmm. right? Where you still need to get into extension, you yep. still need to you know get your foot back underneath your hip. You're just in a lower position, right? You know, and a lot of times, like when I do sled push stuff, I really like sled marches, just sled marches. because it's like, it forces you to go kind of fast, but you're moving it slow at the same time, yep. and you're keeping the weight on the front of your ball of your feet, and you have to focus on getting that foot back underneath you fast, and then replace it fast, right? When I think of sprinting. It's not how fast you can get up, it's about how fast you can get back down, back down and then cycle, mm -hmm. right? Um, so that allows my guys that I like to program for is like fast paced patterns, but they're only covering five to 10 yards at you know, a pretty heavy load, yeah. like holding posture, upright position the whole time. Right. Um, how about you, Taylor? Um, yeah, I feel like with, the sl like with sled pushes, a lot of time, like where you see breakdowns, you see a lot of breakdown at the ankle. So if the weight's too heavy, they just, instead of staying on the ball of their feet and having stiff ankles, you just see their ankle just fall in dorsiflexion, that heel coming off the ground. And then the same thing with pelvic stability. So a lot of time, if the weight's too heavy or if they try to move way too fast with the sled, that pelvis just starts going anterior, posterior, starts rotating side to side. So you kind of just lose the integrity there. Um, and then with like weight-wise, I guess, um, on sled poles, Kind of looking like torso angle, so like if it's generally with well, if you're pulling any weight, you're not gonna be able to have an upright Are you talking torso about backwards pull or forwards. Pull? If you have like the straps on and you're pulling it, but if you're pushing it, that's where I see like if it goes too heavy, you see a lot of like the ankle integrity. You lose, they lose their ankle integrity, pelvic stability stuff like that. And then if you're if they're physically sprinting and pulling the sled, gotcha. okay. generally with not a sled drag, not a sled drag, not like or I meant. Yeah, like a sled sprint um, where you're pulling it. You'll see a lot of like you won't. They won't be upright to begin with, just because there's some sort of a low. So they're gonna have. They're gonna be somewhere in that acceleration phase. But a lot of times with guys that go way too heavy, they they just get way too far to the point where it's like you never look like that when you sprint in person, or like when you just when you're normally sprinting. So trying to just keep them in that sweet spot where they have a little bit of load and they have that resistance. Um, versus and then make sure they don't go too far on that spectrum to the point where it's just like. You're, you're losing whatever you're trying to get out. You're losing ankle integrity. You're losing your pelvic stability, all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I guess the question is like how much load, which we talked about is like, what would be like your average load? Like, is it half a body weight? Is it body weight load? Is it like where, I guess, where do you go with like the loading of that? Yeah, it, it depends on the person and or how strong they are and how fast they're able to move the weight. So there's, a, there's just going to be a learning curve in the first few weeks. Just trying to find the right. That was my answer. That's no, that's. It's not the answer I'm looking for. No, no. Looking like for it. Listen, half body weight. Thirty-three percent body weight load. Perfect. Yeah. 
That's all, all I wanted. That's all I wanted. Anybody ever said that? Bullshit. <laughs> I didn't hear Peter on that. Oh, remember? I told sure, you. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like the perfect spot is 30, 33%. Yeah, or I'm yeah. sure there's been some some yeah. numbers thrown out there, but it just, you know, it differs from person to person. And if somebody gets bigger, faster, and stronger, um, or just faster and stronger from one year to the next, that weight's going to look different to that same person the next year. You know, that's just that's just how it works. So prescribing a percentage there is, is difficult. One, one tool I do like to use, however, though, is um, you start really light, and then you'll like stand on the sled if somebody's pulling it behind you and get them into the correct acceleration angle. So they're just leaning forward without moving the sled and just tell them like march from here to here without changing the angle that your body's at right now. And as soon as you get off the sled and it starts moving, you can tell really quickly whether it's too heavy or too light. If they start moving and then adjust into the right angle, you can kind of cheat it. So I like to create the angle first and then allow them to start. I like a constraint a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So just like an aggressive forward lean to start where they would, like if you unhook the straps, they just fall over. Yeah. And then tell them to start marching in place or something and then say, okay, I'm going to let go of this sled now. You're going to start moving and see if they can keep that. But if they just dive their chest forward, you know what you're doing, or it might be too heavy. Um, if they start just taking off, then it's probably too light. Yeah, which is a good little How much like wall position stuff do you do for like constraint work? I would say it's mandatory in prep phases. Um, so like wall drills before you even get on a sled would be ideal. And then maybe right before um, introducing the sled for like a week or two, you have a block where they're doing the wall drills still. Like you're introducing the sleds at the same time they're doing the wall drill. That way you can coach them like, you're doing this on the wall right now. I don't want you to change anything when you get to the sled. Like it's the same exact thing. One that's just a little bit increased load. Now you're actually moving and you're getting used to that. So you can almost blend the two, but I, I almost always use wall drills before um, getting on the sleds. What are you looking at that? Are you looking at just like how they strike back with their, where their foot placement is looking at where the pressure is on their foot. Are you looking at like pelvic position, core stability, I mean, obviously yeah. looking at all that, right. But like, where do you see some, like, I see a lot of guys mess up easy wall drills, right? Their hips yeah. are back or yeah. whatever it may be. They're not striking in the right positions or supinating their foot or overcurting their foot. Yeah. Like, what do you see? Yeah. A lot of the stuff um, that we see in assessments, you can see really easy there. So I won't talk too much about that, but um, shin angle and just like the athlete's ability to understand where they're supposed to be, where their body's supposed to be in space while they're moving. Because you can tell right away, like an athlete has no clue what a proper sprint looks like when you tell them to do like a single exchange on a wall. Yeah. Um, their shin will be like perpendicular, not perpendicular, parallel to the ground. Like they're not getting forward enough. They, they don't understand what punching that leg forward looks like. They just think they just need to hit the ground really hard and be really fast. So just a lot of a lot of shin positioning like shin angle and manipulating that position getting that athlete to to comprehend what that the correct spot looks like um you can get to know how quickly they just move as an athlete too when you haven't really seen them in the weight room a whole lot you know we do our assessment and then kind of throw them in the fire from what we see in the assessment but we don't really have a concept never a lot of the guys we've never seen on the field so you can see pretty quickly like, oh, they just like are really slow twitch. Like they can't do a single exchange without jumping six inches in the air just to give themselves enough time to do it. Um, but honestly, like a lot of the, the mechanical or postural stuff that you 
that is shown there, we already see in our assessments. For sure. I think taking, like, when they're just doing their A block, B block, that's another time we can change our workout right there, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, this guy's not what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. You know, when they're warming up, it's that happens a lot. I know, yeah. I know we do that in the live time. You know, this kid's never going to be able to control his stability or mm -hmm. whatever. You know, he needs more stability here, so I'm going to throw this, change this throughout his lift. Um, you know, going off that, is like, Taylor, you love doing, like, A-series stuff, right? Yeah. Um, I, I do, too, but I'm just saying, mm -hmm. I, want, I want a conversation out of you. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, like, what's your main goal when you're having athletes go through an A-series? Obviously, to get them warmed up, right? Right. But, like, usually we're going to have them sprint after we do our A-series. Right. So, what's your main goal with each thing that we want to achieve in that A-series? So, and that's kind of where I, I was going to say this too, but with like the wall drill stuff is you see how athletes move, like can move their legs and like sprint mechanic work without using their arms. A lot of guys just fall apart as soon as they can't use their arms. So it's like, okay, this is how much this athlete relies on his arms to move fast. Mm -hmm. And like in terms of like coordination patterns. So sometimes, or with that, so like going into the A series work, um, generally I, with younger guys, I love it because it's a lot of just coordination work um, and getting them, just getting them in that repetitive, getting their the ankle, ankle, um, building up their ankle integrity and kind of getting them on and off the ground. So instead of doing like pogo hops or like forward and backwards pogo hops or something like pogo hops, you can get at that knee up and get, get them in like driving position. Um, and then you kind of look at a lot of different things like posture and how they stay up. So some guys that fall over, you might just go stick over there. Or guys that are way too, way too extended, you can take their arms out of it and have them on the med ball or something like that. So you can kind of go different postural changes with that. Um, but a lot of the time it's just, it's getting them dynamic without having them move at a hundred percent speed. So it's like that gap between when our guys do their B block and then when guys do their sprint stuff. So I'll generally have them do their A series. And then depending on what the guy works, needs to work on based off flexion extension, or if he needs to work on acceleration work, I'll do wall drill sometimes, or I'll just go band resisted A series. So it puts them into that anyways. And I'll just kind of walk with them as they go. So it will put them in that, depending on what like size band we use and what resistance we use, we'll put them in that, in that acceleration angle as well. Um, and then I'll generally go build ups and then whether we're doing change of direction work, um, I'll do a lot of really series usually on change of direction work, um, just to kind of get them moving in the frontal plane a little bit. Um, but then yeah, the A-series will somewhat change based off of the athlete's coordination. Like I have some high school kids that are good to go through all five exercises. Um, and then I have guys that do, can't do A-skips. And so I'm like, all right, this is where our threshold's at right now with coordination work. And then you kind of just go from there. You ever feel like, slightly off topic, do you ever feel like it's hard to get especially the high school guys to commit to the importance of some of that stuff because mm -hmm. it seems like such a like you guys just want to bust through it yeah like it seems like hard to get them to it at full intent yeah i mean i remember full even, focus full focus yeah full uh, focus college, full intent. they might be doing intent but they're just not focused right sense. yeah i just don't think they understand the importance of it like the the method of what you just explained like why they're actually doing it they think it's just like oh we're here to get warm because, I mean, I did that through college. Oh, do a dynamic warm-up just like, to get yeah, warm. Yeah, because we kind of just lollygag through them, and they're taught that, you know, from a young age. And then all of a sudden, you look at it, we look at it through a different lens, and you prescribe it to somebody, you know, it's super easy for them to just skip over it and not yeah. seriously. So do you go out of your way to tell each athlete, like, we're doing this for a reason? Or is it kind of If I can tell, so, like, Wyndon Zaborowski. I'll give him some, and he's like full folks on it. Whereas some other kids, some other high school kids, it's like okay, I have to, I have to explain. Like some kids get the importance of it right away. Like they think everything we do is important, mm -hmm. so they try to do everything down to a T. Whereas some kids are like, 
okay, they've watched something really important. I'm just going to rush through it or I'm going to skip it. Or, and then same thing with like the running stuff. And then those are the guys like, yeah, this is bothering me when I do my sprints. I'm like, okay, let's watch UA series. I'm like, all right, well, you're not, you're moving at 50% speed. It's like, we need to be like 60, 70, 80% range. And then same thing with like buildups, like same thing watching guys do buildups. It's like the lack of focus on buildups as well. It's like, okay, I'm just going to jog. I mean, you want a 50% and then the next one's at 90%. It's like, all right, I'm ready to sprint. Yeah, it's not buildup. Yeah. <laughs> not buildup, buddy. So, it, yeah, watching the importance of that. And then you can see, okay, like this kid definitely doesn't really understand why we do it. It's like, I can either take a step back and like, hey, we're just going to do a series until you understand the importance of a series because I'm not going to put you in harm's way doing a sprint or 30 yard or whatever, whatever it is. Um, and moving at 100% until they can move properly at like 60, 70%. Um, because what if you can't do if like what I see is a lot of times if like you have breakdowns and skill level and arms and positioning and stuff like that doing a series, it's like that thing's only going to get amplified once you move into moving. On. So you get on that woodway. So many times. So many times. I think it literally puts you in a good stride lane. It does. It puts you. <laughs> it puts you in that that top end speed position, yeah. which baseball players never get. In. So I understand why they fall forward. Yeah. But at the same time, it, it, it just helps so much more if you can get that just that pattern of moving your legs um, with that stride length, getting your leg up, getting leg down, like striking, getting that lead leg block right underneath your hip and then pulling through. So, yeah, a lot of time I feel like it just comes, yeah, like like you said, it comes down to focus. So like, okay, what's this athlete's focus level at? Does he want to focus on this exercise? If he doesn't, I'll just change the exercise yep. and we can make it more simplified for him. Or, and then, because like sometimes moving your arms and legs together are just way too complicated for some guys. So you just simplify it. And then from there, you can kind of complicate I mean, you can even it. You break it down like, hey, go half million arm splits. Yeah. Right? Like that's the most regressive thing you can yep. do. Right? All right. We're just going to do, like sometimes with that, rather than doing the full A series, I'll just do, okay, B block, we're going to do a split squat to sprinter pose, hugging a med ball rotation or something like that. And then B block, we're, and then B block second, we're going to do, we're going to do um, bear crawls. And then your third exercise, rather than just putting the full A series there, in that next block, I'll just go, okay, we're just going to do a hops. Yeah. We're just going to do a skips. And you're going to get three sets of 15 yards at a skips. And we're just going to do this over and over and over again until you feel the importance of it, until you can get it down. And then we'll go ahead and move on to that second progressive exercise. Um, but like when I talked to Dakin about it, is the big thing was just getting them warmed up from this point of getting them moving a little bit faster than they were in their warm up, but also just the cord the coordination aspect because so many guys cannot just they can't coordinate upper body lower body. I see it from the pro guys all the way down to the youth kids. So Sometimes the youth kids are better at it. Well, yeah, yeah, because they're, they're still climbing on boxes. Like they're still jumping. They're still yeah. doing. They're still playing. They're putting their body in right. different positions yeah. that they're it's not in. Climbing monkey, monkey bars. Sometimes. Right. You know, they're doing different things. somersaults. They're doing crawling, jumping like, off boxes and landing. And like, you get Maverick and Easton and squats are perfect. Yeah. Right. But they sit in school for twelve years. What's going to happen? Yeah, that's that uh, moves me worse and worse. So exactly. Um, Going off that, like I, I want to talk about just about like change of direction stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, how a lot of people just like you said perfectly, like you might do some, you know, lateral a skip stuff to work on some change of direction, right? A lot of people still do linear stuff in within their warm up or they don't change their their B block for a lateral day, right? Yeah. Like we've had conversations, Taylor, where it's like, hey, we're doing a lateral day, we're doing lateral lunges in the weight room, we're doing lateral sled drafts, we're doing lateral everything, right? Yeah. Like I want to take the linear out of it, right? I want to do change of direction and a decelerated pattern. So with that, like a lot of people miss the boat. I feel like they don't ever train those smaller eccentric muscles in your ankles and your calves that work for the lateral stability, right? Um, I think it's a big piece that's lost in speed training is they only work 
gastroxoleus forward, right? Versus the lateral ankle muscles, yeah. right? Or feeling like your big toe or doing stuff like that. Like don't play monsters. Or don't play monsters. And then you look at the sport, it's like there's a ball in the hole and the bicycle sort of lateral, right? Throwing a baseball is lateral. And they have to decel when they do it. They have to decel when they do it. You know, there's a ball in the gap. You have to go down and get it. Or go out and get it. You know what I mean? So let's talk about that. Like, how many times have you seen people kind of completely botch the warm up and then see injuries because of the lack of preparation? Dalton? I mean, personally, I haven't seen a ton of injuries. And that's just because I haven't. <laughs> Hopefully, we got that on film. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> um, sorry, what, what was the question? How many how many times? So like, seen? how many times have you seen athletes, you know, being at the collegiate level, mm-hmm. playing college baseball, right? Yeah. You've seen your in your weight room. You've done a skips. You've done a marches. You've done all that stuff. How many times have you worked that lateral portion to get to the lateral emphasis? Yeah. Uh, luckily, well, my my yeah, my experience as a as an athlete, I have really good strength coaches, so that stuff was we were pretty well taken care of, and I, I learned because of that. But you know, I, I that's why I say my me personally, I haven't seen a lot of mistakes in that realm, but I definitely know that happens out there, especially like monitoring what a lot of high school kids are doing, high school kids that I've worked with in the past. Um, they have the same basic warm up they do every day, and then they change up their plyos. One's a lateral day, one's a linear day, like you were saying. And that first crossover they do, they're just not prepared for that. And then their ankles hurt for the rest of the day. And, um, so, so, yeah, it is very important to make sure you kind of match your, your warm up or your B blocks, what you're doing here with the plyos that you're doing and which plane you're working in. Yeah. What are your kind of your go to lateral warm up exercises? I, I, I'll tell you, like, I kind of just like draw a line, take line, just doing some lateral one arm, one leg skips. Yep. Hops single, yes, lateral medial hops. Um, I would avoid doing like any sort of hurdle or anything, just avoid as much height as you can, especially during the warm up phase. But move both medially and laterally, um, two legs, then one leg. Uh, then you can start moving a little bit faster, you know, lateral shuffles, maybe some, some even like karaoke is fine that, that gets you moving playing a little bit, changes up the ankle, lateral drive. Yeah, the ankle, like, the ankle hits the ground. Um, you know, you can keep it pretty basic there. You don't have to get too complicated, but then like make sure you're doing lateral plyo prep before you jump into full lateral plyo days. So like doing a single leg snap down and then doing a skater and sticking the landing, doing that back and forth. Like go through a couple weeks of doing stuff like that before you just do like, oh, I'm going to do um, lateral high as far as I can. I'm gonna yeah be sprinting and changing direction. Um, do if you know if you're doing crossovers, do resisted crossovers, but also do assisted crossovers. So they're getting pulled back to their starting point faster and learning how to decelerate in that direction. That's well. why I like to start to play off. The, I, that's why I like to put deceleration and change direction the same day. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. taxing for one. So it's going to be a really high day, right? Right. Deceleration yeah. is way harder than acceleration, in my opinion. Especially and on that plane. In that plane, exactly. Yeah. And it challenges joint integrity, joint angles, right? Yeah. And so, like, the reason I like to put deceleration and um, change direction together is there's so much more you can do for the athlete that day, right? We can get get in and get out of it and still work change direction yeah. and deceleration at the same time because you're 
show me you're getting into good posture positions. Now you have to get out of it, which is technically an accelerated pattern, mm -hmm. but it's also changed direction. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and then we can just work on basic sprint mechanics on later in the week, right? And it's, you know, just a linear day. That's yeah. kind of how I program my speed stuff. Yeah. Another good one to toss in warm ups too, going back a little bit is like a curtsy lunge or a bowler squat, yeah. you know, things like that. And that's Dr. Nick's go to, that curtsy lunge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anything that challenges the, your ankle complex gets it moving a little bit differently, and that way it's not just working forward and backward. Yeah, giving the athlete as much movement variability as possible. So you could put them in different positions and weird positions every day on the baseball field. So if they don't have a frontal, if they can't move in the frontal plane or can't move side to side, then we want to try to eliminate, or not eliminate, but we want to just assist them with a little bit more side-to-side -side movement, lateral variability than we would frontal plane work. So trying to just move them diagonal, lateral, side-to-side, -side, forward, backward, up, down, all the above, trying to give them as much variability as possible because that's where a lot of injuries, I feel like, football field, basketball, but baseball too for position players is just they get weird, they come off the ball and they land weird. Yeah. Or they're running back to the wall and they – Cross over their steps, or they, they misstep, or something like that. Is where a lot of them guys hit the bag, right? That guys, yeah, guys hit the bag. Yeah. Ankle goes, yeah. Fall, everything falls apart. Hamstring, hamstring, knee, hip, yeah. adductors. So a lot of adductors. Yeah. I was thinking about like a pitch, even. And this was just going through my head right now. So sorry if my words stumble, but like you're you're setting up in a position where you need to throw a ball completely lateral. You know, if you're going from the stretch to where you're facing, so you need to generate force in that plane. And then you're decelerating almost in a different plane. So there's just a lot of weird movement going on there when you start moving rotationally. So just going back to what Taylor was saying, well, it's, it's, it's as much hey, variability we, as we had this, this conversation a couple minutes or a couple yeah. hours ago yeah. on the hitting side of things. Yeah. Like you have the ground force, yeah, right. but you have like different types of ground force. Yeah. You know, being able to change vertical force to horizontal force and you know, talking about rotational force. So you, know, you can't just emphasize lateral movement prep and linear movement prep, you also just have to kind of mix it up, do a lateral yeah. jump to a linear land. And, mm -hmm. um, it's kind of a chaos day where you have co different cones, you point out different cones, where you're yeah. going, the athlete doesn't know where they're yeah. going, right? Yeah, the, I, the rotation aspect of the sport really challenges you to do as much as you can, and that's okay for variability. That seems a little bit crazy sometimes because of the sports demands. Yeah, I've always looked at like a waiter, like if I'm doing a horizontal pull day, I'm going to do a horizontal push with it, right? If I'm doing a vertical push, I'm doing a vertical pull. It makes sense. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's times in, in, uh, as far as sprinting, it's like sometimes we got to be chaotic. The yeah. game is chaotic, right? Yeah. We can't have straightforward lateral acceleration, yeah. right? The athlete knows what kind of lack of variability yeah. there's going to be. And there's such thing as just getting good at those movements. Yeah. And we work with a lot of really high-level athletes and they might not be getting better at anything. They might just only be getting better at that certain movement. There's such thing as being a good squatter because you've done it for a long time. It's a skill. It's just like, yeah, yeah. you wanted to do it and you're going to get good at it eventually. Yeah, and that shows, you know, in, in athletes with a low training age, that's why there's such a big jump when you first start weightlifting. It's not necessarily because you're getting stronger. It's because you're just getting better at those movements, which allows you to do more weight. Yeah. You're, not, and like, you're not gaining strength at a higher rate than you normally than anybody else's. Shout out to our foundations program. <laughs> foundations <laughs> program. And that like goes into like with, like the, when we were talking about like why we don't do a whole lot of bilateral stuff. Because mm -hmm. everything bilaterally, technically we're just moving in the frontal plane. Whereas if you go 
any like any sort of single arm row, single arm press, slam arm press, single arm demo, like there's going to be a sense of rotation with like 100%. the compression expansion model and what's going on with the core. Stability. Yeah, and you're going with anti-rotational core. Like there's going to be a different, there's going to be different, um, different things going on with the core versus if you're doing a contralateral load versus if you're doing an epsilateral load versus um, going with like your um, anterior and like posterior oblique slings and like technically. Everything, kind of how I look at it, is like we don't really. Everything is rotational, so like even when we're in the frontal plane, like that. you're welcome. Everything is technically like in rotation. In rotation, even when we're doing like a toe touch or something like that, like our femurs or our pelvis are internally rotating. Everything works in rotation. There's just different degrees of rotation. Like flexion extension is going to be our least degree of rotation, and then we're going to have lateral flexion, and then you have rotation. So if like a guy can't rotate very well. Maybe just throwing him into rotational work isn't the best way. Maybe having him do lateral flexion. Like I wrote an A block today cross where crossbody toe touch. Crossbody toe touch. Like I think I, I wrote an A block today where this kid doesn't rotate very well at all. It just doesn't have the ribcage movement to rotate. So our first exercise, we're doing a knees elevated um, quad breathing. And our second exercise, I'm doing a like a half moon mm-hmm. lateral flexion, and then we'll go into AT spine rotation. So it's like we're just each each exercise we're opening up that rib cage a little bit more, giving them creating expansion, creating expansion, getting that rib cage, rib cage to compress, expand, rotate, lateral flex, extend, move in different degrees. Because a lot of times when it comes to like shoulder injuries and elbow injuries and stuff like that, it's like this guy's rib cage on the right side is locked down, so no wonder he can't get overhead. Yeah. So being able to open up the rib cage itself and like pelvis going on with the lower body as well. We're able to open up those movements. That's gonna that can also clean up a lot of the issues that an athlete may have back issues. Um, you see that in running like too, right? When you guys yeah. spring, they their upper thorax isn't rotating at all. Yeah. Right. Their T five and up is just it's locked. Locked. It's right? not rotating. Yeah. And people think running is a forward thing, but you said it's rotational. And yeah, it's a contralateral movement. That's where opposite arm, opposite leg. Exactly, and that's why I like that gate. Like, I'm not going to change the way you walk during an assessment, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. I like to see how you're walking. And one of the pieces I look at is like how well that upper thorax and cervical rotates. Right. Yeah. Their shoulders are swinging back and forth. If they don't have that, how do I expect them to do a, a T-spine rotation yeah. or a med ball shot put or something very, very low on the training age scale, right? Something super simple. And they can't rotate when they're walking. So we, we got to open up. Space. They're gonna be able to do it when they run either. Or any other like yeah. we said, going that knees elevated quad breathing and get everything going that direction and then creating expansion is huge. You know, then, then you retest it and then they'll open up a little bit more. Right. And it's gonna hold on for twenty minutes. They have to continue to do it, but right. um, it's just a starting point. Yeah. That's where load comes into play too. Load? Yeah, assisted, non-assisted, resisted. Yeah. Like opening up and closing the rookie. Like I do five breathing exercises and go into a bunch of whatever and then but it's like it's not gonna hold so you have to you have to load it you have to make adaptations to your obliques to the muscles of the rib cage do you like you know, doing loaded breathing patterns i'm joe gatto doing some of that stuff right now which which it's like a front rack kettlebell box squat with heels elevated and just breathing like anterior if they load. need assisted yeah. If they're like really stuck, which some of the pro guys are, I've done like a chest supported. I feel like the pro guys are a little bit different than the high school guys. Than the, guy, the high school kids just move better. They're not as old. A lot of the time. They're not as old. They're not as stuck in yeah. their positions. Yeah. They POs versus non POs. Yeah. Versus, 
you're just a yeah. first baseman. You know what I mean? Right. Like the pro, like weighted ones, you could do like GHD, like uh, using the glute ham developer bent, like kind of falling over. You have the hamstrings engaged or put into that pusher until like just, it's just pretty much the, all the way it does, it just assists you in putting that position because they can't get in the position by themselves. They can't. So doing like a chest support or just having them reach, that'll just drive as they inhale, drive into their air, into their posterior ribcage. Yeah, it's 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 all it is. It's just cue. It's just yeah. an assisted cue because they can't do a body weight, yeah. or they can't do it just sitting there. And I really like doing like like a sideline, you know, either a hip compression or a ribcage compression loaded, and that really focuses focus on them feeling like the a the sensory right of that load. You breathe into that load, but also like compressing that area and like getting out of that area, getting expansion to that area at the same time. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. It's like what do you what do you normally use? Just like a forty five pound plate or something? Yeah. Yeah, or like we even sit on our guys sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? You sit on them sometimes. It's weird, but it's it weird, but it helps. You know? <laughs> yeah. Grant shout out to Grant Slugs, you don't like that exercise, but I love it. Um, <laughs> I just need the time to sit, so I put that in the program. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, like I like doing, like I hate the word pliability, but you literally see the rib cage react better if you do like a rib cage compression. Yeah, but then you right. also have to double it up with if I do a, if I do like the sideline loaded breathing exercise where you sit on their pelvis, then it's like okay, I can't, I have to, now I have to, now the pelvis is formed or I've kind of created a little bit more movement in that. Uh, internally rotating pelvis. Yeah. So now let's do a sideline or a segmental rolling where I now I'm rolling onto that pelvis and I'm creating movement. So rather than me kind of think of like rolling on like this guy's pelvis is like yes. a, a rectangle. Yep. Rather than the rectangle rolling, then I go I go to the sideline, smush that thing, then I go to the segmental rolling. But I'm rolling kind of on that even surface to yep. almost try to make it more like a circle. Like and and from there, I would even go into like a a step down, a box step down. Yeah, so then you yeah, then you try to access, load. allow the IR to be accessed. Yeah, so then you gotta load it. Eventually you have to you have to load it or else those things are just gonna go back to the way they were yeah. before. Which is why we do a lot of the A block and B block stuff before they throw. Because it's easier generally we don't load a whole lot of stuff in the A blocks, but we will load like lightly load some of the exercises in the B block so that we can kind of double up or even triple up on some of those movements and then they go in there throwing where they have those ranges of motion available. It's like so the more the more time we can spend in the room range of motion that we have available, the more they're gonna stick. Exactly. Or even they don't have IR because they don't have ER, give them the extra rotation, right? Yep. And I like using like what's that strap for that. Yeah. Right? A lot of like bebop, what's that strap stuff for yep. me is huge on this public rotation, public yeah. tilting. It's it's a system because it just it pull it'll pull them in, into into those into those positions. Going back into Roof it elevate, front foot elevate stuff. Yeah. Like if you pull them even more into it. Yeah. You know. And on the programming side of things, I think that just shows how useful of a tool like a primer exercise can be. Because as you know, as they get away from their A block, B block, and start going further along in their lift, it's common to put less and less of that stuff in the lift. And then they're doing, they're using all kinds of heavy loads and not even putting what you're working on to use. So, you know. Yeah. If you're doing a heavy bilateral squat or a heavy unilateral squat of some sort, put in a primer, uh, some sort of breathing exercise that will accommodate to where they're weak and do that at the beginning of each block and beginning of each set so they can actually use what they've created in their set. Yep. Yep. I got nothing else. Solid. Good podcast.
Is there anything else? No, my brain hurts. Good job. My, my knee hurts. Yeah. <laughs> I got that on video. Got, I bet you could. I bet you could hear it. Like, oh. All right, guys. Thanks for coming and give us a shout on Instagram if you ask questions. Ask please. questions, please. Probably be better on the podcast. If the internet works. Yeah, if the internet works. All right, guys. Thanks. <laughs>